He brushed off its wounds And then watched it soar into the sky If he's mindful of creation On this I can depend I am his child And I can place all my trust
better husband, father, man, um, leader uh, in this day and age. Lord knows we need it. Um, so the men's conference, please come out for that, support that. The ladies retreat, um, that is, I guess that's next Friday, isn't it? This coming Friday. 
This coming, so is this coming Friday, next Friday, or is next Friday the Friday after this coming? <laughs> this Friday is this Friday? All right. <laughs> the Friday next. <laughs> so, so, ladies retreat, Friday, coming up. The next Friday we run into, that's it. Um, so come on out. Uh, I, what does it say? The, be here before 7 a.m. Are you driving, Delmer? Delmer is leaving at 7. Be here before 7. WMU meeting, October 15th. Uh, that's next Sunday. Young adults, uh, not this coming Saturday, but the following Saturday. I guess that's Saturday next. <laughs> so come on out for that. You got any young people that need to... Uh, Hang around some good uh, influences and some good people. That's a good time there. Um, Harvest Fest, Trunk or Treat. Um, we got donations. There's a box out there. If you need some candy, you got some candy you want to get rid of, you want to start your New Year's resolution early, get rid of that candy in the house, there's a box out there, and we are taking donations for the Trunk or Treat. Where it's a community event. We're inviting the community to come in and uh, give them some tracks, hopefully share the gospel, invite them to church. All that good stuff. Um, Dollar Dog Night, October 29th. Raising money for the youth for camp next summer. Um, and I, oh, WMU. Uh, the, the banquet, Thanksgiving banquet, November 11th. Um, so be thinking about any type of homemade crafts or whatever that you want to donate for the auction that raises money for the WMU. And uh, I think that's all we got. Pastors, you got anything? <laughs> De ushers, we need some ushers. Let's take up an offering. Let's see what we're going to see. Oh, prayer cards. Here we go. We do have a couple prayer cards. So the Scaife family has an unspoken prayer request. So be remembering them in prayer. Diane McNatt. Schofield is in the hospital in critical condition with brain cancer. So uh, let's be remembering those two special prayer requests, um, please. So let's pray over the offering. TJ, would you mind? doesn't know you as our Savior, Lord. Tonight would be the night they come to know you. Yeah. Lord, we pray for this offering, Lord. We pray you bless the gift and the giver alike. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Peace. 355. 355, everybody stand. Praise him. Praise him. Praise him. Praise him. Jesus, our blessed Redeemer. Sing, Wonderful love proclaim. Hail him, hail him, highest archangels in glory. Strength and honor give to his holy name. Like a shepherd, Jesus will guard his children. In his arms, he carries them all day long. Praise him. 
of his excellent greatness. Praise him, praise him, ever in joyful song. All right, choir, come on up on this last verse. Praise him, praise him, Jesus our blessed Redeemer. Heavenly portals, loud with hosannas ring. Jesus, Savior, reigneth forever and ever. Crown him, crown him, prophet and priest and king. Christ is coming over the world victorious. Power and glory unto the Lord belong. Praise him, praise him, tell of his excellent greatness. Praise him, praise him, for song. Amen. You may be seated.
To the place where dreams were shattered And you felt you'd lost the race Where the only thing that's left Is sorrow and pain You wondered if you mattered Or did anyone see you
Turn with me, if you would, in your Bibles tonight, the book of Zechariah, Zechariah, chapter number 12. We're going to preach what the Lord's put on our hearts for this evening. And again, we're thankful to be moving through the minor prophets, and here we find ourselves in Zechariah, which is one of the, well, it's the largest of the minor prophets, and there's a lot going on, and we found ourselves spending a little bit more time, which has definitely been been good, and uh, we definitely needed this. Uh, I'm sorry, Zechariah chapter 11. I'm skipping ahead on myself here. As soon as I said that, I felt that wasn't right. I don't know why 12 was on my mind, but 12 was on my mind. And uh, I want to read the, uh, I'm not going to read this whole chapter as I have been often, but I'm just going to read the first uh, six verses 
of Zechariah chapter number 11. I'm going to read those, and uh, then we're going to ask the Lord to help us. Open thy doors, O Lebanon, that the fire may devour thy cedars. Howl, fir tree, for the cedar is fallen, because the mighty are spoiled. Howl, O ye oaks of Bashan, for the forest of the vintage is come. There is a voice of the howling of the shepherds, for their glory is spoiled. A voice of roaring, a voice of young lions, for the pride of Jordan is spoiled. Thus saith the Lord my God, feed the flock of the slaughter, whose possessors slay them and hold themselves not guilty. And they that sell them say, blessed be the Lord, for I am rich, and their own shepherds pity them not. For I will no more pity the inhabitants of the land with the Lord, saith the Lord, excuse me. But lo, I will deliver the men, every one into his neighbor's hand and into the hand of his king. And they shall smite the land, and out of their hand I will not deliver them. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you again to come to the book of Zechariah tonight. Dear Lord, we believe that it has something for us. We believe that all of the word of God is good and profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction. And dear Lord, as we come to this passage, it is no exception. Dear Lord, I pray that you would help us uh, as we look at difficult passages, passages that take some time uh, to figure those out and to, and to, and to research and, uh, and draw what we need. And, and help us also, Lord, to be able to make the application that goes along with it. Uh, both are important. You know, tonight, dear God, you put on our heart uh, an application that's simple. It really is. But yet, dear God, it's the word of God that has made it, and we pray that you would use it. And we pray that it would speak to a heart that needs it here this evening. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, I want you to look at these passages of Scripture. And tonight, I, I gotta, you got to just come straight at them and help you out with them and then bring a couple of things together. Now, as we come to chapter number 11... He does something that's almost, as it were, a little, back, a little bit in reverse order. He tells us in verses 1 through 6 about the destruction of Israel. The destruction of Israel. And he's speaking about the destruction of Israel in AD 70. Okay. Now, I don't want to go into a whole bunch of stuff. I'm actually going to go with this in just a moment because I know that you could read those verses and go, how does he get there? And I'm going to explain a little bit of that in a minute about how we get there and things like that. So there in verse number uh, 1 through 6, he is describing the destruction of Jerusalem in AD 70. And then in verses 7 through 14, he is talking about Jesus Christ being presented to them, the Messiah, and their rejection of that Messiah. And then in verses 15 following down through... He is speaking about how Jerusalem and the people of Israel will one day fall victim to the Antichrist or the beast that's spoken about. Now, as I say all that and bring all of that about, if you were to read Zechariah chapter 11, and you could read it a bunch of times, and you would probably not draw that conclusion on your own. So tonight what I want to make sure that we do is that we understand something that we talk about a lot, but I'm not sure that we illustrate it 
And what that is is context. And I know you probably are like, man, I don't even want to hear that word anymore, context. They say it way too often. But it really is king. Context is king. It is amazing how, and I'm just going to be blunt with it tonight, it is amazing how lazy, unfortunately, we are with our Bible study. If you remember, it was several years ago now, we talked about uh, the, the boot camp, the Christian boot camp, what to do when you get saved and you start following the Lord. We went through a bunch of passages of Scripture, and, and we went through a lot of different things. And one that we went through there was about studying your Bible. And if you remember, when we brought that to you as a topic, we said one of the best things that you could do is probably study the book of 1 John as the first book that you go to and study, the little book of 1 John, the epistle that's there. And we said before, and the reason is, is because you're going to create a pattern of how you're going to read the Bible. And before you go to make any interpretation about what that scripture is saying, it would be a good idea, or as some might say, it might behoove you, it would be a good idea for you to go to that scripture, to that, that thing, and read it at least three or four times, and some have even said five times, before you would go into the, into the area of making an interpretation on what that scripture says. Now listen, I know this and you know this too. That there's a lot of times that we see a phrase and it sounds good and it sounds like it's going to be catchy on the ear and we do a little bit of research about this and a little bit about that and we cultivate a sermon and we haven't even read through the entire book. It happens. That's lazy. We need to be studying the Word of God. Not just the preachers. I'm preaching to the preachers, but I'm also preaching to God's people as well. If we come to a book of the Bible that you're familiar with, then you should be able to understand the context as well. Now, don't get me wrong. Zechariah is a tough book, okay? It really is. I get that. I would not recommend you start there, okay? But what I am saying is as we come to this and as we look at this scripture, there's just two things that I want to point out. And that is, in my introduction, is the labor of interpretation. Interpretation it is a work and it is a job. Now, we can thank the Lord that we also live in an era where we have so many commentaries right at our fingertips that we can go and read. And as soon as we come and we look at something and we're like, man, I'm just not sure why that makes sense. We can go to a commentary and we can read it. And that is a great thing to have. But also, I believe that God wants you to do some of that work for yourself as well. And so as you come to a book and you wonder these things and, and you're looking at what's going on and uh, uh, do that work, read the whole book. If there's things that don't make sense to you, read the book in its entirety so that then you can have some context. You've probably been there for yourself where you've been reading a book or a novel and maybe a certain part has lost you. What do you keep doing? You keep reading, right? Because probably more than likely, in another three or four paragraphs, that problem that you had will explain itself and you'll see what's going on. And as a matter of fact, in the book of Zechariah, that's kind of what happens. In chapter number 12 and verse number 1, The burden of the word of the Lord for Israel, saith the Lord, which stretcheth forth the heavens and layeth the foundation of the earth and formeth the spirit 
of man within him, the God of very gods. Behold, I will make Jerusalem a cup of trembling. So when we have read the book of Zechariah in its full context, we come back to this one and we're not such bewilderment. It's not such a stretch for us to understand what that interpretation is about and what's going on. The second thing that I want us to notice as we introduce this passage of Scripture and as we bring it to us is the idea of an Old Testament parable. An Old Testament parable. It is common throughout the Old Testament for the prophets to speak in parable and to also live out a parable with their life. There's many unusual stories throughout the Old Testament of what some of the prophets would do. You might even remember some of those different ones where we had uh, Ezekiel that laid on one side for 430 days and then he laid on his other side, reminding God's people of their turning, of their flipping and uh, just an unusual thing. Not too long ago when we went through the minor prophets, we looked at Hosea whose entire life was used by God to describe the faithfulness of God to an unfaithful bride. And that's the life that he lived out as a testimony to God. What a tough way to live your life, to speak of a testimony of God. But this was what Hosea was called to do. And we said that, and he lived it out in his life. When we come to the book of Zechariah, we see that Zechariah is going to play the part of Jesus Christ, the good shepherd, towards his people. That's what he does in verses number seven and goes out through there. He comes in and as he is playing this part, we see it, we understand it. We're going to point to those in just a moment as we look through those passages of scripture and he plays that part. This is something we need to recognize in the Old Testament as well, that oftentimes when we see a when we see a prophet or someone do something unusual, there is a really good chance that they are acting out a lesson, a parable, that God wants his people to understand. And I don't want to just pluck application out of the air, but on this one, I'm just going to go ahead and do it. That you know what? It really makes a big impact on people's life when you live it and you don't just speak it. Amen? We are called to walk according to the word of God, according to the purposes of God, according to the calling that he has put on our life. We have a testimony that we are to give of the saving grace of God, the goodness of God in our life, the mercy of God in our life. And if our life is not, if we don't have the ability, then our testimony becomes as nothing. It doesn't mean anything. We understand that and we see that. We understand that when we see maybe a friend of ours that gives, that says, you know, they, they tell people about Jesus Christ all of the time, but nobody seems to want to listen to them. And unfortunately, it's because, I mean, it's not always, but oftentimes it's because there's things in their life that they are looking at and saying, this is not a person that is worthy of my respect. So therefore, I will not, I'm not going to listen to what they say about this. I'm not going to listen to what they talk about. We should be walking in the world in a way that when we speak about topics, people are like, well, they must know what they're talking about. 
There is something about their life that is different. There is something that is clean and good. There is something to be admired there. And I've used that illustration many times about sharing the gospel with the neighbor of our church member who that neighbor was just so impressed by their children and said, your children just are different. They're different. And they said, my children are terrible. That's really what they say. You know, what's going on? And thank the Lord for young people that serve the Lord and look different than the world. I'll tell you what, the world is going to notice that. Our families are still a testimony in the world that guess what? The family still works. I preach that and teach that to every couple that I counsel. One of the greatest things that we can be is our families are a testimony to the world that God's plan still works. Families can be happy. They can have joy. Is everything going to be wonderful? No. But God can bring joy in that place, and he will. Anyway, got to keep moving. Old Testament parables, living out the truths of the word of God in a way that the people visually see it, and it brings that message deep into their heart. And as we move throughout our life as well, we ought to do that. Now, I've already kind of given you what the chapter is about. All I want to do right now is make a few uh, things as we break it down. I want us to look at number one, Zechariah's portrayal of the shepherd. I want us to look at number two, the rejection of the shepherd. And then I want to look at in the thirdly, what is described as the foolish shepherd in the last part of the chapter. So we have Zechariah's portrayal of the good shepherd. We have the rejection of the shepherd and the foolish shepherd. And I think that as we bring it out tonight, that the title of the message will have no doubt that it will ring in, in our hearts. It matters what we do with Jesus. It matters what we do with Jesus. The book of Zechariah is an amazing book. We already mentioned it. Besides the book of Isaiah, it has more messianic prophecies in it than any other book in the Old Testament as they go through there. Zechariah is full of of, I don't even, I'm looking for the best word to use it here. It's full of these little shadows, renderings, little pictures of Jesus Christ. It never is, it's never quite as bold as Isaiah, as Isaiah 53, like our pastor was talking about, where it's just like, man, that's Jesus right there. I mean, you're just like, there's Jesus. Isaiah 53, boom. It's never quite that bold, but it shows you things and it reminds me of that song that April sings often, That's Him. You know what I mean? Where you hear it and you're like, that's Him. I know who they're talking about. I know that one right there. And I, I appreciate Him and I love Him and I care for That's the one I'm talking about. And that's what happens in the book of Zechariah. And as we look through this, we're going to see this and we're going to see how they're talking about these. Now, look at this. Let's go to verse number 7. We already read the first six ones. That is speaking of the destruction, listen, of Jerusalem in A.D. 70. I did not spend much time, and boy, could I. We could spend so much time on verse number four. Thus saith the Lord my God, feed the flock of the slaughter. You want to get confused about what people think. There is more there is more people with ideas on that one than you could ever imagine. But we understand that there is always a remnant. 
But yet this people of Israel during this time have been set aside and they are. They're going to be destroyed. They're going to be scattered. And this happens immediately after the rejection of Jesus Christ. It matters what you do with Jesus. And when they reject Jesus, when they reject the Messiah, it's only a few short years later, in AD 70, that there is a siege laid upon the... Chapter number 12 is listing the siege. They're, they're making reference to it here. I just don't have the time to go through it all. But as he speaks of that, and all of those things taking place, then he brings to us this shepherd that Zechariah depicts, and we're going to see what he looks like in verse number 7. Let's go. And I will feed the flock of the slaughter, even you, O poor of the flock. I will make sure that the remnant is taken care of. And I took unto me two staffs, the one I called beauty, and the other I called bands. And I fed the flock. Three shepherds also I cut off in one month, and my soul loathed them, and their soul also abhorred, abhorred me. Then said I, I will not feed you that, the, that that dieth, let it die. And that that is to be cut off, let it be cut off. And let the rest eat every one of the flesh of another. And I took my staff, even beauty, and I cut it asunder that I might break my covenant which I made with all the people. And it was broken in that day, and so the poor of the flock that waited upon me knew not that it was the Lord, the word of the Lord. And I said unto them, If ye think good of me, good, give me my price, and if not, forbear. So they weighed for my price thirty pieces of silver. And the Lord said unto me, Cast it under the potter, a goodly price that I was prized at of them. And I took the thirty pieces of silver and cast them to the potter in the house of the Lord. Then I cut asunder mine other staff, even bands, that I might break the brotherhood between Judah and Israel. The flock of the slaughter that he is feeding speaks of the remnant. The flock that he rejects The flock that is going to be cut off is of those that have rejected the Messiah that comes. We understand and know that even during the time of Jesus Christ, many, many Jews believed on Jesus Christ. The first church was comprised of so many Jews in every place that they went. They went to the synagogue, they preached to the Jew first, then to the Gentile, and those churches that were scattered throughout Asia Minor were filled with Jews and with Gentiles. And we understand that God has reserved a remnant throughout all of time and he takes care of those. Now, let's look at this as Zechariah portrays it. And he has two staves, right? Two staves. Look what he calls them in there, beauty and the other called bands. It is absolutely pretty much unanimous through most of our uh, commentaries and that we read of that what he is speaking here is the beauty of graciousness and the beauty of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And when he speaks of bands, if we go back and do a little bit of word search that's not too difficult to do, we'll see that he is speaking of unity. So we see grace and unity that is provided by the staff of the good 
shepherd. Aren't we thankful that those two things can be found in Jesus Christ? That when we come to Him, we find grace and we find ourselves unified once again with God our Father through our Lord Jesus Christ. And because of that unity that He brings to us, then we find ourselves also in an unusual unity with those that have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. The Word of God tells us that in the New Testament, that our fellowship is one with another, and truly our fellowship is with Jesus Christ, who is the Redeemer of each of us. And therefore it gives us an unusual unity in Jesus Christ. That's why I believe that inside of the church and inside of the church that functions well, that there is a unique unity. I believe that all of the things that God has designed, He has designed them in a way that a unique unity can be found in those places. That as we find that He has given to us marriage, this most... Uh, uh, you know, this bond that is closest to the heart of God, closest to His depiction of His church and His bride and Israel and their God, this marriage union that comes together is an unusual unity between two uh, parts that are completely different, but yet God brings them together in a unique way. And so we see that the family operates under a beautiful and unique unity and boy, it is good to dwell in unity. But the good shepherd, unfortunately, here, because of the rejection of the Messiah, because of the rejection of His grace and mercy that has been extended to them. And you know, I remember my grandfather preaching this a lot, and I do even remember several years ago our pastor referring it to it a good bit, but you really don't hear much preaching on this. That when Jesus Christ came, He offered the kingdom to the Jewish people, and they rejected it. He said, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's right here for you. But they rejected Him because He was not the king that they wanted. He was not what they desired. He was not what they were looking for. But I want to explain to you and I want you to understand that he was very much so the same Jesus Christ that was being revealed in the Old Testament. And there were definitely those that saw that and saw what he was doing. And I will say as our title responds to it, it matters what you do with Jesus. He is offering unto you grace, not because you deserve it, not because you should receive it, not because of what you have done. There is absolutely nothing that you can do to earn the grace and favor and merit of Jesus Christ. But all of His loving kindness, all of His great love wherewith He has loved you, all because He has cared so much for you, He has made the most elaborate of plans that has been playing itself out through all of eternity with an aim and a goal to speak to your heart and if need be, your heart alone. I love it. It's that individualistic. The gospel is for everyone, but you know what? That doesn't really matter. 
because it's just for you. It's amazing, isn't it? It is, but it's for everybody. And he extends this grace. Why can he do that? Because he paid the price for your sin. He absolutely, the sin that separates you from God, the sin that separates them, God has known the Lamb, Jesus Christ, is the Lamb slain before the foundation of the world, and God is, knows what He is doing, and here we sit after it, and grace can be extended to you because Christ has paid the penalty for your sin. The sin that brings guilt, the sin that brings shame, the sin that you know separates you, that, put, that puts that, that you, you just, you almost can't even describe it, but puts you in a place where you know you're an enemy of God. You sometimes shy away from His presence, you shy away from His teachings, you shy away from the light of His Word because it casts a reminder on your soul that you don't deserve to be there. But Jesus Christ has paid all of that. He went to the cross of Calvary, not owing anything, because he had no sin to pay for. And because he paid for your sin on the cross of Calvary, he now can offer and extend to you a staff of grace. And inside of that staff of grace comes unity with God himself. I am no longer an alien or an orphan outside of the good graces of God, but I have been drawn nigh by the blood of Jesus Christ. He brings us in. His staff of unity, his staff of graciousness is extended. Israel rejected it. And we, if we are not careful in our own lives, will be a microcosm of them. If we reject the word, if we reject the grace, if we reject the unity, then we will pay for it with the destruction of our own soul. It matters what you do with Jesus. It matters. He's portrayal of the good shepherd. I can't even believe I haven't even got to it. He put all those there. We're going to keep going. Number two, the rejection of the shepherd. We mentioned it a little bit. Notice what he says in our passage of scripture there. What do you think the good shepherd is worth? He says in verse number 12, And I said unto them, If ye think good, give me my price. If you think I've done a good work, if you think that this staff of grace and this staff of unity is worth it, then pay me. And what do they pay him? 30 pieces of silver. It sounds familiar for a reason, doesn't it? I want to take you back, though, and you don't have to go there. You can go read it later if you want to Exodus chapter 21 and verse number 32. In Exodus 21 and verse number 32, if a man had a servant and the servant was killed by an ox, then that servant should be recompensed to that master at 30 pieces of silver. It was the price of a slave, the price of a servant. What did they value Jesus Christ at? The same as a slave, the same as a servant. He speaks about it plainly. It matters what you do with Jesus. What do you, how do you value Christ in your life? 
Oh, we've already mentioned it, have we not? You can speak all the words that you want. You can tell me how much you love Jesus. You can cry through the songs. You can come to the altar. You can do all of the things that look good. But you know what speaks volumes of how much he matters is what happens when we leave this place. What speaks volumes about how much Jesus matters to you is who do you tell about who Jesus is. When your friends and relatives are in trouble and struggling with the weight of this world and with the weight and the cares of it, is the first thing that you share with them is that, you know what, I think Jesus might be able to help you. When you are faced with those that are, that are completely lost, is Jesus the first thing that comes to your mind? When you wake up in the morning and you start your day, is he the first thing that comes into your mind? Because you value him far above rubies, far above treasure, far above anything else that you could have. That he is your mainstay and your focus. And you value him above everything else. And so you say, I need to get some Jesus before I start today. Or when you start, are the cares of this world so much more valuable. Listen, I already mentioned about a labor of interpretation. And I'm not going to go. I, our jobs are important. And, and, it, and, and there's a lot of ways that when we do our job, we do it to the glory of God. And God has given us that work. And I think all those are good. But I can't imagine if maybe we just spent as much time in the Word of God as we did on some of our hobbies, let alone our job, what God would do with us if we cared that much about His Word. If we spent as much time in His Word as we, as, that, that it cared, that we valued it in that place. It matters what you do with Jesus. Israel valued Him at 30 pieces of silver. What do you value Him at? What does your life speak of the value of Christ in your life? I could keep going, but I'm just going to move on right there. Number three, the foolish shepherd. In chapter, or in verse number 15 of this, the Bible says, And the Lord said unto me, Take unto thee yet the instruments of a foolish shepherd. For lo, I will raise up a shepherd in the land, which shall not visit those that be cut off, Neither shall seek the young, nor heal that that is broken, nor feed that that standeth still. But he shall eat the flesh of the fat and tear their claws. Woe to the idle shepherd that leaveth the flock. When we reject Jesus Christ, the good shepherd, for whatever reason, we fall in love with a foolish shepherd. In the book of Revelation, for whatever reason, it seems unseemly, it seems unreasonable, but the nation of Israel will fall victim to the Antichrist. They will believe that lie, and they will go after him. Remember, in these Old Testament prophets, we're doing more than one thing at a time. So he's speaking of the fall of Jerusalem, a present prophecy. He's speaking of Jesus Christ 
relatively near prophecy, and then he's speaking of far-off prophecy. But yet all of them kind of relate to us, don't they? So here we see that because they rejected the good shepherd, because they were destroyed, they followed after a foolish shepherd. Believe something. They went after something that everyone else would look around and go, why in the world would they follow that? Why would they believe that? It doesn't even make any sense. You ever, you ever say that? You ever feel that about someone? Or Maybe even you look back and think that of yourself. Maybe a foolish decision or a foolish thing that you've made. It matters what you do, Jesus. As far as we can tell, now there's always a remnant, but there are many that go after this foolish. The Bible says they, their eyes were darkened. They believed a lie. God is not required to give you opportunity after opportunity after opportunity. You sit and you hear the word of God preached and you do not respond, you do not move. You do not do what you should do with Jesus. You do not respond to the good shepherd. You do not value him at the worth that is appropriate for him. He is not, he doesn't have to speak anymore. And it's very possible that your eyes might be darkened and you follow a foolish shepherd. You follow a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways The world's got plenty of shepherds it'd like for you to follow. Pretty of, plenty of idols it would like for you to worship. Plenty of false gods out there that offer, and what is, what is it in, in, in Revelation? That he offers peace, right? He, he creates this false peace. And in our effort to find peace, in our effort to find joy, we go after a false shepherd. Jesus does give peace. Do you know that? You know when he gives it? When he says, why don't you just come after me, right? See, that's the big difference. He's like, don't worry about all of that stuff. Just come get me. Come after me. Come follow me. Learn of me. Spend time with me. Know who I am. And I guarantee you the rest of that stuff, it's, it's going to be okay. But what do we do? No, I want that peace right now. I want that right now. We won't just go after Jesus, the good shepherd, the one that offers grace and unity. Listen, it matters what you do, Jesus. Every head, every head bowed, every eye closed tonight. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we pray that you would use your word tonight. Lord, I do pray that it would be clear. Dear Lord, we're thankful that right smack dab in the middle of the book of Zechariah, that we see Jesus Christ. We see him spoken of. Oh, how you're not done in the book of Zechariah. My heart keeps going already down the road in Zechariah. When they say, what are these wounds in your hands? 
He says, these are the wounds I received in the house of my friend. We are reminded that Jesus Christ paid the price so that we could be forgiven. Dear God, as we preach the message that's simple tonight, dear Lord, I believe that it is perfectly suited for a heart that's here tonight that needs to hear the salvation message once again. Dear Lord, maybe they've just never even really heard it. And that sin in their life, they didn't even really know. They knew, they knew there was wrong in their life. They knew there were things that were good and bad, but, but that sin, they didn't even realize that it caused such an issue between them and God. Now, for the first time, they see themselves guilty before, not just a, a people, but guilty before God. Dear God, the Word of God is clear. Christ has paid that penalty. Christ has given them what they need. All they need to do is call upon the Good Shepherd. He can heal them. And then tonight, dear God, maybe there are those of us in your house that we just haven't valued Jesus the way that we should. And we're guilty, God. And if we're not careful, you're going to quit dealing with our heart. Dear God, convict our heart tonight that we would just come after you. That we would desire to be in your presence as the deer pants for the water. That we would say that my soul is satisfied in Christ, in Christ alone. That we would look for him to be the wellspring, the joy, the delight of our heart. That we would say with David, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Let me value Christ as the treasure that he is. And come after him with all my heart. That I may know him and him alone. Help us, dear God. Help our weak heart. We love you, dear God. Use this message tonight. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. As we stand. When I see the sunrise in the morning, when I Oh,